0: All right, turning your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. It's awesome. And uh, we, like I mentioned, we're going to wrap this uh, up. And, and just kind of in summary, um, as I've listened to the messages, I want to take you through and get you to the point where we are here in Jonah chapter 4. In Jonah chapter 1, we see the call of God on Jonah to go to Nineveh, right? To go to Nineveh and do what? Preach. Right? To proclaim the word, to preach the good news. And so Jonah hops right on a boat and goes to Nineveh, doesn't he? No, he doesn't. Dylan did a better job than that. Uh, He he gets on a boat boarding to Tarshish. Now, the reason that that's important is Nineveh's here, Tarshish is here, Jonah's here. And so Jonah boards a boat going in the complete opposite direction from where God had called him to. And so Jonah boards a a ship going to Tarshish, and and, um, obviously he had taken some Dramamine because he goes fast asleep, okay, fast asleep. And I added the part about Dramamine. That was our team on the boat this past week going to the Bahamas. There wasn't enough Dramamine. Um, but, uh, But he boards a boat going to Tarshish and fell fast asleep. And what happens is God sent a storm. And Jonah's asleep. The other people in the boat, they cast lots to figure out why the storm is happening. They wake Jonah up and and essentially end up, I'm going to fast forward, they end up throwing him over the boat and the storm calms down. Because Jonah was the reason for the storm. Because Jonah boarded the ship going to Tarshish when God had called him to Nineveh. God sent the storm. How many of you know that sometimes God sends a storm? Then we see Jonah chapter 2. He's swallowed by a great fish. Now, I need, to, I need to mess with some of you for just a moment. We don't know if it was a whale, okay? Jonah and the whale, all that stuff. That's cute, right? Veggie tails, veggie tails, veggie. Okay, that's, that's great. But it's a, all we know is it's a great fish, okay? It's a great fish that swallows Jonah up, and Jonah goes in and uh, spends three days, three nights in the belly of a great fish. Sounds like a good time, doesn't it? And um, what happens there? But a prayer of repentance. And we see Jonah get real with God and say, God, I'm sorry. I went the wrong direction. I want to get right with you. Send me. Then, uh, and, and, and how many of you, I mean, imagine for me for just a moment. I don't know if we do this enough where we place ourselves in in the shoes of those in Scripture, but place yourselves in the shoes of Jonah for just a moment. Doesn't smell good, doesn't feel good, it doesn't look good, but it's where you're at. Some of us have been in the belly of a fish before. Hasn't looked good, hasn't smelled good, certainly doesn't feel good. But God had us there for a purpose. Then we see the end of Jonah. The fish spits him out onto dry land. Right? Jonah goes into Nineveh. What does he do? He preaches, he's faithful. What happens? What happened? Repent, right? People came to know the Lord. Revival happened, right? This great city of 120,000 people. And and revival happened, and people came to know the Lord. And then we get to Jonah chapter 4, where we get to see the happy ending. Jonah rejoices, God rejoices, they celebrate, it's a party, right? Wrong. So what did happen? I'm glad you asked. Let's check it out. Jonah chapter 4, we're going to read the whole thing, and then we'll come back and talk about it. It'll be on the screen. Uh, Ricky, you're doing a great job. (laughs) But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Interesting. We'll get to that, okay? And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord... Please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Now, imagine again, let's place ourselves in Jonah's shoes for a minute. Jonah's angry. Why is he angry? Because God had done what he promised to do, right? He had saved his people, and and Jonah knew that he would do that because he was a gracious God. And then God says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Now, how many of us would have heard a question like that and just said, oh, no, I probably don't do well to be angry? <laughs> I know some of you. And for some of you, that takes you from an 8 to 108 on the anger scale, right? Right? for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. And that's it. That's where the story ends. We don't know the end of the story. We don't know what happened to Jonah. We don't know his response to God in that moment. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten to that point and also much cattle and thought, yeah, but there's got to be an ending, right? What a cliffhanger in scripture. So let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take these 11 verses. We're going to go back and we're going to talk through them. And I'm going to really try to slow down for Ricky's sake and. Um, And then we're going to talk about three things that I believe God wants to teach us through the story of Jonah. Three things that I believe God wants to teach us through the story of Jonah. And then I simply want to ask you a question at the end of the message. And that's where we're going to go. Sound good? Sound sound good? All right, good. Now, let me just tell you, our team in the Bahamas, if they look a little weird at the end of this service, it's because last Sunday they sat through a service that was two and a half hours. And so they're ready to go about three hours today. And so if they kind of look around like that's it at the end, we'll, I'll go take them in the other room and keep preaching, okay? And we won't do that to you. But um, let's go back to verses 1 through 3. We see that, that in, in chapter 3, verse 10, the, the end of it, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. But it displeased, going into into chapter 4, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord God said, do you do well to be angry? Now I want you to see here, because I've read, I've read a few commentaries and a few articles on Jonah chapter 4 that take the, that take the position that Jonah chapter 4 is Jonah's salvation story. That Jonah Jonah chapter 4 is his salvation story. But we don't see that here in Scripture because we see evidence in these first three verses as well as in in chapter 2 in in Jonah's prayer of repentance. We see evidence that Jonah knew God. And and we see even deeper evidence than that, that he didn't just know God. He knew the heart of God. Right? And and that's what angered him so much, was that he knew God would relent, right, from the disaster that he was planning to bring on the people. He knew that God would be gracious. Jonah knew God, yet he still questioned. He knew God, yet he still got angry. And there's a truth that we have to come to grips with in these first couple verses that is true for us today that I pray sets some of you free, and it's this. It is okay as a child of God to wrestle with God. It is okay as a child of God to wrestle with God. You may not understand everything that's going on right now. You may not understand everything that's in front of you right now. That's okay. The follow up truth that we have to come to grips with, right? It's okay to wrestle with God, but we also have to come to grips with the fact that we may not understand this side of heaven, what God is doing. We may not get the answers, this side of heaven, as to why. As to what. Isaiah chapter 55, His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth are His thoughts from our thoughts. But it's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to say, God, I don't understand this. God, I don't like this. God, this doesn't make sense to me. God, I've got a better plan. It's okay to wrestle with God. I want you to see that the source of Jonah's anger came from God's call on his life to go to Nineveh. Because Jonah knew God well enough to know that God didn't need Jonah. God could have used anyone. God, you don't need me, You could have used anyone here. Jonah's anger came from God's call because his desire was not to go. His desire was not to be bothered, but God had called him to get off the couch. God had called him to go. Do you do well to be angry? Let's look at verses four through nine. He says, "And the Lord said, "Do you do well to be angry?" Jonah went out of the city, and we see what Jonah did here, right? He said to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. You See that? Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. I want you to see that the call of Jonah... The story of Jonah, the call really of Jonah chapter 1, the call of Jonah's life was a call of faithfulness. And it wasn't, even though it was a one-time call to go to Nineveh, that really wasn't the point. The point was that, that God was calling Jonah to be faithful with his life, to be faithful with each moment, to be faithful with each conversation, to be faithful with each coming and each going. And that's the call of us today it's a call to be faithful. I love the definition of righteousness that, that says this. Righteousness is being faithful with what's right in front of you. It's being faithful with the moment, with the day that is right in front of you. That's, that's faithfulness. And we see something important in these verses about the role of God and our role. That sometimes I think we get confused Today. What's the role of God? Authority. Now, I know about, I know that's a bad word in our culture now. Okay? But hang on. Give me about five minutes to talk about the authority of God, and then we'll go back to something easier, okay? Because I know we don't like that word authority. But that's God's role in our life. You see what God did here? He appointed a plant. Right? And what happened? A plant... Rose, God appointed a wind, and a wind came. You see that? God has the authority in our lives. And so if we're not the authority in our lives, and God is the authority in our lives, then what's our role? I'm glad you asked. Faithfulness. Our call in the moment to be faithful was right in front of us, is to be faithful every day. That's our role. God's role is authority. Our role is faithfulness. And look, God didn't just send the plant. God didn't just send the wind. God sent the worm. You see that? God sent the worm. Some of you need to look at your neighbor and say, You know that worm? God sent your worm. Some of you ain't doing that because you know God sent the worm in your life. God sent the worm to make the plant wither. God's the authority. And our response is faithfulness. You know, I'm, I'm finding so much comfort in the fact that all authority has been placed there by God. That's Scripture, right? What's my response? I'd be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. If I'm not faithful and I start to panic about the authority in my life, what does that say about my trust in God? Because the promise in Scripture that all authority that o- placed over me in my life, right, from Ezra to Summit, just kidding about Ezra. That's my four-year-old son, and we call him the boss. As, anyway. But if, but if I don't like the authority over me, then what does that say about my trust in God and the promises of Scripture that all authority is placed there by God? Anyway, just a question. Okay, verse 10. And the Lord God said, you pity the plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. As I was reading this Thursday night, I thought to myself, how often do I try to take credit for things that I had nothing to do with? I mean, Jonah here gets angry. He gets frustrated about this plant because God sent the worm, right? And, and, and God says, do you do well to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry. Even though I had nothing to do with it growing, I had nothing to do with it providing me shade, I'm angry enough to die. And then I thought of a follow-up question to that. How often am I critical over things that I have nothing to do with? It's easy to be critical when we have no skin in the game. It's easy to be critical when we have no say over the matter. Because we could have done that better. Right? We could have done that better. But the truth is, Jonah didn't have The right to take credit or be critical over the plant or the worm or the wind because he had nothing to do with it. His response was to trust God and be faithful. That's what God's getting at here. Do you do well to be angry? No, because you had nothing to do with it. Embrace the plant. Embrace the wind. Embrace the worm. Some of you are like, nope, I'm out. I'm out. We have to let go of things we can't control. Do you realize the freedom that comes from that? And then we look at verse 11. Which really transitions into the point that I believe God is driving home through this whole story. He says, and should I not pity Nineveh, this great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle. The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, puts verse 11 this way, 120,000 persons that can't distinguish their right hand from their left hand. They can't distinguish it. What does that mean? That means they need maturity, right? They need maturity. I mean, if they're still, right, if we're still holding up our hands, can you follow me right here? If we're still holding up our hands, okay, this one makes an L, so that's left. Did you see that? Some of you need a reminder course, okay? So this is left, this one makes an L, that's left. You are welcome, okay? (laughs) But if we're walking around and people people are still trying to distinguish, what do they need? They need to be taught. They need Father, right? And so God's heart here was the people that needed Him because they couldn't distinguish their right hand from their left hand. And God's saying, Jonah, listen, you're worried about a plant. You're worried about a little worm. You're worried about a wind. There's 120,000 people that didn't know me before a couple days ago. And because of your faithfulness, we should be celebrating, like I mentioned earlier. Jonah chapter 4 should have a much different narrative. But guess what? There's one problem with that. Jonah is human. And Jonah cared more about his pleasure... His comfort, His desire or lack of desire, than He did about the 120,000 people having a Savior. See there's three things we can learn about us and about God through the story of Jonah and the first one is this, God loves people look at your neighbor and say that look at your neighbor and tell him God loves people God loves people yeah even Ian Bree looks over and like really even Ian I'm like yeah even Ian you can't do that Bree and not expect me to call that out that's too good God loves people God's crazy about people. God loves this, a gathering of His people that are here to worship Him, and that are here to lift His name up. God loves people. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is talking in verses 12 through 14. He says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. God loved the people of Nineveh. He loves the people of Maine. He loves the people of Portland. He loves the people of Gorham and Scarborough and Buxton and Standish and even Lewiston. Loves people. He's always been concerned about people. And see, here's the truth. If you're from Lewiston, I love you. Okay? You just need to know that. Nineveh is people. Nineveh is your neighbor. Nineveh is the teller at the bank. Nineveh is the guy next to you in line at Walmart. None of is the person you bump into at the store. It's the person you see driving down the road. None of is the relative that you haven't spoken to in years because you're mad at them, even though you don't remember why. None of is the person right next to you. None of is the person that hurt your feelings. Nineveh is the, the group of people that did that thing to you and you still don't understand why, but it changed your, the whole trajectory of your life. That's Nineveh. And God loves them. See Nineveh is not just a place, it represented the people. It was 120,000 people. And wherever you find people, there you find Nineveh and all its splendor and all its power and all its glory and all its greed and all its brutality and all its evil. It's all there, mixed to- together, the good with the bad, the light with the darkness. See look around. Child of God, we live in Nineveh. And the message is clear. God loves Nineveh because God loves people. He always has and He always will. And the story of Jonah is that God wants Nineveh saved. God wants Nineveh saved. But but here's something we've got to come to grips with. Okay? Here's something we've got to come to grips with. Because I think many people, right, and, and, and we hear this all the time, we throw it out, all, you know, sometimes and stuff like that. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm coming to God because I need to punch my ticket into heaven. Right? Listen, listen, a relationship with God is more than a, than a punched ticket. A relationship with God is a life of joy and of faithfulness and of communion and of fellowship. And God wants to save his people. Yes, because he wants to spend eternity with them. I get that. That's a part of it. Right? Right? But but it's more than that. It's because God wants fellowship with Nineveh. He wants fellowship with you. He wants fellowship with me. He wants fellowship with the people right next to you today. Now. Not just for eternity. Now. Number two, God's plan for saving people involves people. God's plan for saving people involves people. God sends Jonah to Nineveh in order that it might be saved. As far as we know, there's no plan B. Jonah was to go to Nineveh to preach there. Was Jonah rebellious? Yes. Was he reluctant? Yes. Was he stubborn? Of course. He was from New England. That man, bad pastor. But God got his attention. And after spending three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, he went. He went. He was faithful. He went. So let me ask you is God calling you to something? Have you ever been reluctant? Have you ever been rebellious? Have you ever been stubborn? I know I have. I know I have. But God has a way to get my attention. The question I have for you today, what will God have to do to get your attention? What will God have to do to get you to obey Him? I will never forget one of the defining moments, I think, in my life and my ministry was a conversation I had on a Wednesday night in this room probably five or six years ago. With an elderly woman who had a son that was not following the Lord, didn't have a relationship with God, was Nineveh, and she said she came to me one Wednesday night we were getting ready for prayer meeting, and she said, "Travis, I need you to know something. I've stopped praying the nice prayers what, is, what does that mean? she's like, "I've stopped praying the nice prayers for my son." she said. I'm praying now, God, do whatever it takes to draw him to you. Send whatever storm you have to. Send whatever fish is necessary. Some of you parents know exactly the prayer she's praying. Do whatever it takes. My youth pastor used to have a saying back in the day. He said, I want a, I want a God die people, G-A-D-A. I want a gada group of people that are willing to go anywhere and do anything for the glory of the Father. He's like, that's what I'm praying. I'm, I'm praying for the no fear, the boldness group of people. Gada, go anywhere, do anything. And as I was sitting on a boat Thursday night, I... Pen this prayer. That if you're wrestling with something like that, it goes a little something like this. Lord, help me pay attention to you. Lord, make me an obedient servant. Lord, help me to stop running to Tarshish. Lord, help me to be part of your plan for this world. Help me to be a faithful servant. Help me to be a witness for you. Give me the boldness to tell others of your love. Do whatever it takes for me to be faithful. Listen to me, church. I don't believe this is arrogant. I believe it's truth. God wants to use me to change the world. God wants to use you to change the world. Let us willingly be part of his plan. Amen? God loves people. God's plan for saving people involves people. And number three, God's willing to do whatever it takes to save people. God's willing to do whatever it takes to save people. How far is God willing to go to save the people of Nineveh? He was so intent on their salvation that he never let go of Jonah. He never let Jonah off the hook. Even though he boarded a ship to Tarshish, he tried to go in the other direction. Jonah was the plan for Nineveh. He was the plan. He needed to go there. He needed to preach there. He needed to witness there. God did what he needed to do to get Jonah there. And finally, Jonah went. See, Jonah was the plan for Nineveh. but Jonah wasn't the plan for you and I. You know what the plan was for you and I? Jesus Jesus is the plan for you and I. See, God sent Jesus for you and I. Jesus wasn't stubborn. He wasn't rebellious. He came willingly. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. See, Jesus changes things in our life. Jesus was the plan for us. And the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. Why? So that we could have fellowship with the Father. So that, be, so that we could have access to God. So that we could be in relationship with the Father. Now again, not just to punch our ticket, even though that's part of it, but so that we could be in relationship with the living God, everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. See, we got off a boat last Saturday. We got in a van, all 10 of us, in the Bahamas. And we started a 40-minute drive to where we were staying, to where the church was. And, and um, I got to sit up front, because I'm tall. And I was sitting up front, and uh, Dan and his damnness sat on the floor in the middle facing the opposite direction. We were crammed into this van. And, um, and we started talking about the storm. We started talking about the storm, and we started talking about all the devastation. And, and I'll be honest with you, church, I'll be honest with you. If that's me, and we're sitting in March, and this storm happened in September, and I still don't have power, I'm out. Like there were so many times where I looked around and saw the devastation and thought, Fort Lauderdale is like a two hour boat ride away. And you have power. And you have like all these different things. Why would you stay here? And in a roundabout way, I asked that. Not that candidly, because I had known this pastor for about... 20 minutes and thought that might be a little rushed needed to get to know each other a little bit more before I went there and we had a conversation about hope and one of the things he said led me to led me to the point where I said this I said hope is the message here isn't it And he said, yes, precisely. Hope is the message. Hope is the message of the people of Grand Bahama. And as we were driving the rest of the way looking at that devastation, I thought to myself, hope is still the message for Summit. Hope is still the message in your life whatever fish you're in, whatever storm you're battling, whatever mountain you're trying to overcome, whatever thing you're rejoicing, whatever. Hope is the message in our life. You know why? Because Jesus is the messenger of hope. And He came that we could have life and have it to the fullest in hope. So here's my question for you as we wrap up Jonah. And the worship team's going to come. We'll close with a song in just a minute. My question for you is this. Where are you in the Jonah story? Where are you in the Jonah story? Are you Jonah in chapter 1 where... God's calling you to something, God's calling you to a place, God's calling you to a people, God's calling you to a work, and you're saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm boarding the ship away from that. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. Are you Jonah and the fish? Where God has you in a place of, I hate to use the word submission. But God has you in a place of availability. God has you in a place of sending. God has you in a place where you're ready to go and you're 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 repentant and you're saying, okay, God, yeah, anywhere, anything, lead me, send me, I'll go. Are you in a place of Jonah 3? Or you sit and say, Man, Pastor, I'm seeing fruit. I'm sharing the hope. I'm being faithful. God's using me, Pastor, like you wouldn't believe. Praise God. Rejoice in that. Maybe you're not Jonah in chapter 3. Maybe you're Nineveh. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you sit and say, man, Pastor, I'm, I'm I need Jesus. I need hope. I look around in my life and there's, there's nothing but hopelessness. I'm st- struggling and I need a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're Nineveh today. The first thing I want you to hear is I'm glad you're here. See see too too often. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we make the mission of God enough in our church. Is. Plural. See, God loves people. And he wants this to be a place where people can meet God. if you're a believer, if you're a child of God in the house, I hope you're encouraged. I pray you're encouraged, but this isn't for you. God wants people to meet His Son in this place. That's what we're about. That's what we have to be about. That's the plan and mission of the church, that people would know Him and grow in Him. So maybe you're Nineveh. <clears throat> Lastly, maybe you're sitting in a place of Jonah chapter 4 where you're angry, hurt, confused, bitter, searching, critical, over things that you had nothing to do with, and in need of trusting God. Wherever you're at in the Jonah story, because I believe if we could all sit across from a table with each other and say, yep, that's me. We could all pinpoint a place in that story where we're sitting. God loves people. And He loves you. And He wants to wrap His arms around you and remind you of how loved you are. If you're celebrating in Jonah 3, from all the fruit, He wants to celebrate with you. If you're broken and confused, He wants to to meet you in the desert. Wherever you are, God wants to encounter you today. Would you encounter Him? Wherever you are in your Jonah story, meet Him. Every eye bowed, every eye closed this morning as we wrap up. I don't think we can walk away from this without giving an opportunity that if you sit and say, yeah, I'm, I'm in chapter 3. I'm a Ninevite. I need Jesus. I need a relationship with Jesus. We're not going to drag this out for minutes and minutes. I'm going to give you about 10 seconds. If you're sitting here today and you say, yeah, I need a relationship with God. I need Jesus in my life. I need hope. Today. Today. In this moment. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand? Okay. Anybody else? Anybody else? You can put it down once I've seen it. Anybody else? about five seconds. Anybody else? He's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. Amen. If that's you this morning... Just pray this prayer in your heart and mind that God that searches hearts and minds will hear you and just say, dear Jesus, I need you. I'm broken. I need your hope. So I invite you into my life to live and rule forever. And I trust you. In Jesus' name. For the rest of us, God, I pray that wherever we are in our Jonah story, that we'd look to you, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. God, I thank you that we were the joy that was set before you, God, I thank you that you have a plan for each and every one of us. It's different, but it's a beautiful plan. And God, I pray that the response for each and every one of us today would be faithfulness. Whether we're faithful in the storm, whether we're faithful in the belly of the fish when it doesn't look good, smell good, or feel good. God, that we're faithful in the preaching and the telling of others about you. God, that we're faithful in the questioning in the frustration. Yes, even in the anger. God, that we would be faithful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.